morning, everybody. Good morning, Sunrise. You guys can find your way to your seats. I know we still got some people coming in, but we're going to go and get started. There's people online. They're waiting for us. They're already here, sitting on their couches waiting. So welcome to you guys online. Welcome to you guys here in the sanctuary. It is good to be here worshiping with you all. Here at Sunrise, we trust the Spirit has gathered us just as we are to worship Him. And as we worship this morning, we can trust that we are encountering the living God, that we are being shaped into the image of Jesus, and that we are being drawn into his mission in the world. So how about you guys? Why don't you guys go ahead and stand with me? We're going to um, read some scripture together right as we get prepare our hearts to, to uh, worship this morning. We're going to read some scripture together right out of Psalm 29. It's not the whole psalm, uh, but I would like you guys to read these words with me. Okay, here we go. Ascribe to the Lord, you heavenly beings. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. The Lord sits enthroned over his flood, over the flood. The Lord is enthroned as king forever. The Lord gives strength to his people. The Lord blesses his people with strength. Amen. Let's worship together.
is my firm foundation The rock on which I stand When everything around me is shaken I've never been more glad That I put my faith in Jesus He's never let me down He's faithful through
us who you are today. Fill us with your heart. All the things that you love and want us to love. And empty each one of us of the things which don't build up your kingdom, God. And lead us in your love to in turn love those around us with the love of Christ. Just a couple of announcements for you. I actually think just, just one. Uh, but before I get into all that, I wanted to just say one more greeting to all of you guys, especially those who are with us for the first time this morning. If you are visiting, or not visiting, but with us um, for the first time online, there will be a little uh, link that will drop in the comment section in just a second. For those of you who are in the service for the first time, um, there will be a QR code in front of you on one of the chairs. You guys can scan that. That will bring, bring you to our announcement page, which I'll get through in just a minute. Um, but there's also a special banner on the top of that announcement page that um, for those of you for the first time, you can fill that out. There's a, some questions you guys can fill out. We'd love to answer any of those for you, help you feel, feel welcome here at Sunrise. And also, you can visit the Connect table on your way out today to get a little gift on your way out. So on to the announcements. Just one thing for you. Um, we've been having these going all summer long for families with little kiddos. Um, the, this is the last summer play date this Friday the 19th from 9 a.m. to 12 at the Cotman's house. So if you are a parent with little ones in the house and just need to get out and let them run around and play, um, go to the Cotman's house. There's her email address. If you don't um, know Audra or if you don't know where she lives, shoot her an email and she'll give you the address and that should be good. That is it. That's all the announcements. Summer's wrapping up and fall's ramping up here soon. So why don't you guys um, stand? We're going to greet each other, take a couple minutes, and also this will be the time for the kiddos to head out to their special program time. Let's talk together. You guys can find your way back to your seats. We're going to keep going. Everyone online is sitting on their couch staring at the screen while you guys are talking, so... (laughs) Well, I want to say a welcome to our friend Bob. Many of you guys know Bob, but some of you don't. Um, Bob was our pastor. Yes. Hi, Greg. Welcome, Bob. Bob was our pastor from 2013 to 2018, and um, we love Bob. So we're happy to have you back this summer. Bob, tell us, catch us up a little bit on the past Uh, few years. I'm in Ohio. Apparently, the O is replaced with an A there. Uh, I didn't recognize that. So if you go down where I'm from, it's in the middle of the country in Ohio. Uh, but they say Ohio uh, for some reason. Um, and I, uh, my, uh, my family's had a business down there since 1920, um, 26 or something like that. And it is agriculture and landscape. And I run part of the landscape, or I run the landscaping part and watching the kids grow up and uh, test my patience. That's what they do. <laughs> so, well, it's good to have you back, Bob. It's good to be back. So, how y'all doing? Good. Wow, you are a lively crowd this morning. Wow. I missed you. Oh, I missed you guys too. I think about you and pray about pray for you guys a lot. So it is fun to be back in a place I haven't been in a while. Kind of comfortable, kind of used to this right here. So it's good to see you all. Um, let's pray this morning and then we'll start. Uh, Father, thank you that we can worship. Thank you that uh, you promised uh, to be a God that would listen but also speak. And we ask uh, this morning that you give us ears to hear whatever you may be trying to speak to our hearts this morning and give us the boldness uh, to act on those things you might be uh, 
whispering or saying to us. And so we uh, pray this morning you take my words, whatever they may be, and may they glorify you. And if they're not from you, just let them fall to the ground. And uh, we ask uh, that your presence and your spirit is here and is moving and speaking in the next short time we have together. Pray this and everybody says, Amen. Amen. So I was reading a story about a king named Solomon. Everybody know who Solomon is? Good, I don't have a lot of work to do this morning then. Uh, and as I was reading this, um, it was a while back, about this king named Solomon, I kept getting this question in my, uh, I guess in my heart, in my mind. I was reading and reading, and, and there was this question that kept coming up, and I realized it was God putting this, the Holy Spirit was putting this question in my um, in my heart, and it's a question I want to just ask you and kind of start with this morning. And the question was, whom do you seek? That was the question. I'm reading this king named Solomon, his life, what was going on, and I kept hearing, whom do you seek? Whom do you seek? Whom do you seek? And you might be thinking, like, well, what do you mean by that? <clears throat> Let me tell you a story, and then it probably will make sense. About eight or nine years ago, I had a friend um, knock on my door at eight o'clock at night. I hadn't seen him for like two years. And I said, hello, friend. I haven't seen him forever. What's up? He said, let's go for a drive. I said, okay. It's kind of strange, but let's get in the car. So we did. So we're driving around and we just small talk and it's kind of awkward. You ever been in those situations and haven't seen someone? Then I started sort of getting nervous. Then there was all sorts of thoughts running through my head. And I look at him. I was like, what are you going to do? Murder me? Is this an episode of The Sopranos? What are we, what are we doing here, guys? And I said that to him as a joke, and, and then he began to tell me what was going on in his life. And his marriage had just fallen apart, and it was just a wreck. And at one point, I said something to him like, why did you wait so long, and why are you talking to me? Like, I haven't seen you in at least a year or two. And he said at that point, because I have nowhere else to go. And this is what this question, whom do you see, reminds me of. Who do you turn to when you go through a situation like that, where there's a struggle or a problem, and you don't know what to do? You don't know who to turn to. Or maybe it's not quite as big as that, but there's an issue going on, and you're wondering, what should I do? Who is it that you seek in those difficult times in your life when you need an answer? Is it a friend? Is it some sort of family member? Is it a pastor or a counselor? Maybe it's not a person at all. Maybe it's somebody like this, like uh, Google, right? Maybe that's the thing you seek for an answer. You guys remember the time before there was Google? When you didn't know something and you say, well, somebody would ask you and you just say, well, I, I don't know. And then you just go on, right? <laughs> remember that? Simpler day. Maybe it is something like you go online to find answers, or it's a podcast or a book. Who is it that you seek in, in the midst of those struggles and those difficult times? It can be different for everyone. And then I started thinking about it. Who do you seek isn't just a question that you ask during difficult times. It's a question you should be asking during normal life, during even good times, because whom you seek is also a question about how you orient your life. What do you work towards? What are you striving to get, to achieve? Whom is it that you seek? Maybe whom you seek isn't a person at all. Maybe whom you seek is a thing. Maybe for some people, the thing that they seek is affirmation. It's what they desire. And they find that through friends. 
And their entire life is centered around making sure they have enough friends, they spend time, because something about that friendship provides some sort of worth to their soul. And they find that even online. And the more posts they have and the more followers and loves, it gives them some form of affirmation. And so their entire life is spent on social media. Maybe that's who you seek. Maybe who you seek is something like, well, peace, security. And you find that in money. And money provides that to you. And so your life is centered around making sure that you make enough, you have enough, so it can provide you with enough and so that you can retire with enough and so you've met those people whose whole life the thing they're seeking or chasing is money. Maybe who you seek is something like status, power, authority. And you find that in a job. And the higher you climb that ladder, the more authority is given to you, the more people look up to you. And so your whole life is about your work Because there's something about that authority that gives your worth to your soul. And so you'd be willing to work at the expense of everything, including your family. Maybe people just seek pleasure. As long as life is good and we're having fun, that's all life's about. See, who you seek is a really powerful question because it reveals what you put your hope and trust in. Who you seek in the struggle is what you trust in. You trust that thing will save me. Who you seek in a good time in everyday life is what you hope in. Hope in if I achieve this or attain this or get this, it's going to do something valuable for me in my life. And I would hope when I say, whom do you seek? You would say, well, it's God. Because scripture talks about us seeking God over and over and over again. 400 times it's mentioned in the Old Testament alone. Seek God, seek God. In my struggles, do I turn and am I seeking God? In everyday life, am I seeking God in my quiet time? Am I listening? That's whom I'm seeking. And I would say, yes, that's it. But if I'm honest, I don't always seek God. I know. I remember here once, a few years ago, We had a verbal lease agreement for the place we rented. Now, things I've learned. Never have a verbal lease agreement. (laughs) That's one of them. Because it ends poorly. There was one day we were informed by the people that we could no longer meet where we were meeting. It's like, yeah, you sort of need a place to worship and meet for a church to actually exist, right? So I start flipping out. I'm calling people and people and realtors and trying to find warehouses. What are we going to do? And my friend walks in the office and I begin to tell him my problem. And my friend looks at me and he said, well, did you pray about it? And I said, yeah. <laughs> I mean, pastors pray, right? No, I didn't pray about it. And he looks at me and he's like, well, don't you think maybe you should just pray first before you go through all this work? That guy was always right, too. I hated that. But I knew I should be praying. I should be seeking God, but I didn't. Just trust myself. I'll take care of it. Sometimes that happens. Sometimes we seek other people. Sometimes maybe we don't even know what it means to seek God in this situation. What I want to do this morning is I want to just look at the life of Solomon, this king. And and I want to look at this idea of seeking God. Because what I realized in Solomon's life, there are two stories I want to look at. A, A story where he goes through something difficult and a story where life is really good. What I saw was a king who was seeking God with his whole life, his whole heart. And I just want to look at Solomon's life and just see what he can teach us. 
What does he teach us about being people who could answer that question, whom do you seek? We seek God. And so there are two stories of Solomon that we're going to look at. The first is in um, 1 Kings chapter 3. It's a very famous story about Solomon and wisdom. And in 1 Kings 3, it says, The king went to Gibeon to offer sacrifices, for that was the most important high place. And Solomon offered a thousand burnt offerings on that altar at Gibeon. The Lord appeared to Solomon during the night in a dream, and God said, Ask for whatever you want me to give you. Solomon answered, You have shown great kindness to your servant, my father David, because he was faithful to you and righteous and upright in heart. You have continued this great kindness to him and have given him a son to sit on this throne this very day. Now, Lord, my God, you have made your servant king in place of my father, David, but I'm only a little child. I don't know how to carry out my duties. Your servant is here among the people you have chosen, a great people, too numerous to count our numbers. So give your servant a discerning heart. To govern your people and distinguish between right and wrong. For who is able to govern this great people of yours? And the Lord was pleased that Solomon had asked for this. It's a really famous story. Some of you probably know it. Where Solomon is just made king. His father David has passed away. His father's very famous king. And now Solomon's turn. And he prays for wisdom. And a lot of times we focus on wisdom. What I want to do is just look at the first verse. Because the, the very first part of this story... It says, Solomon traveled to Gibeon to a high place to offer burnt offerings. And there's a lot there that we'll miss um, if you don't just spend some time there. And it teaches us something. Now, this is the ancient uh, city of Gibeon on a map. You can see it's about seven miles northwest of Jerusalem where uh, Solomon would have been living. Now, this is not an easy seven miles. That's through a lot of mountains to get there. And there, there's one or two pictures or three pictures you can look at that'll be on the screen. And Gibeon was a very sacred place. Moses, apparently God had appeared to Moses, Gibeon at the tabernacle here. And, and it says that he traveled there across mountains to a high place. And you're thinking, okay, so what is a high place? Well, uh, a high place is literally a place that is Hi, you're welcome. A lot of study to get that. Um, Leave that picture up for a second. Uh, You have to understand how a a pre-modern thought process was different than ours. In that culture, in that day, uh, there were gods for everything. Now, the Israelites believed in one god, but everybody else had thousands of gods. And the gods were up here in the sky, and they were removed, and they were distant. Most believe that. And um, so if you needed, say, it to rain, you're a farmer and uh, you want to grow crops to survive, you would uh, want to make sure that you prayed or appeased that God to make it rain. So what you would do is offer a sacrifice. Sacrifices were around since Adam and Eve. And so you make a sacrifice to that God so it rained so crops could grow. But how do you know that, that the God would hear you? Well, what you would do is you would travel from the place you were to a place that was higher in the air so that the God could hear or see the sacrifice you're making. So all throughout the ancient uh, landscape, you'll see things like, this is Petra, a high place. You'll see altars and places of sacrifice on top of places, on top of mountains and hills. Because the higher and closer you got, got to God, the more likely it was that they would see you. Now, here's what's interesting. There's a lot of sacrifices and a lot of immoral things going on at these places. The Israelites were actually told not to go there. Um, There's a verse, a very famous verse, 
uh, in Deuteronomy where Moses said, destroy all the high places on the high mountains, on the hills, under every spray tree. You can read the rest. That's not the only verse you'll find in the Old Testament of getting rid of high places because you didn't want to go there and get caught up in what was going on there. The type of worship, the type of things. No Israelite wants to be there. Like It was so bad that there was a group called the Canaanites who were basically neighbors. Um, they would offer sacrifices of small children to their god Molech. And yet, it's interesting that Solomon goes across some mountains and goes to a place he wasn't supposed to go. And then he makes a, a thousand burnt offerings. Now, a burnt offering... I can't really get into the whole sacrifice system, but a burnt offering was very specific uh, for the Israelites. They had many kinds of offerings that they would make to God. A burnt offering had to be an animal. It was usually a lamb or a cow. A a lamb is three days' wage. A cow is almost a year. So if he offered a 1,000, at minimum he offered three years of a normal man's wage. At max, it was 1,000 years of wages. He was a very wealthy man. So it's a significant offering. And a burnt offering was given um, for a specific reason, to show that you're broken or you're lowly, and that God is here much higher, much more omnipotent than you, and that you need him. And a burnt offering was involuntary. You didn't have to do it. All of these like little strange details point us to a very, very simple truth. That seeking God begins in the heart. Seeking God begins first here. Now think about this just for a second. Solomon travels across the mountain to get to a place that he's not supposed to go to offer a significant amount of money and sacrifices that he doesn't have to make. Why? Because he needed God. He desired God in his life, his presence. He needed him, and that's what he wanted. Only a man that had a deep desire would do something like this and travel and do this. If he didn't have that deep desire in his heart, he would have never left his palace. And so it began to teach me that like, the first and foremost important thing is, is God the deepest desire in my life. It, it made me ask this simple question, do, do I have a deep desire in my life for God's presence? <coughs> is, is that the first thing in my heart? Like, Lord, I, I want your presence here with me. Because seeking God begins first and foremost here. In my struggles, is my prayer, prayer A, Lord, help, I need you to fix this, get rid of this, or is my prayer, prayer B, uh, Lord, something's going on. I need you here with me in this. See, prayer A is about getting rid of the problem. Prayer B is a heart that's seeking God, inviting him to journey with you through the situation. And there's a difference. Or maybe it's not a struggle. Maybe life's good. And is my heart something that really desires God's presence? Do I wake up in the morning wanting to spend time Silence, being still. Am I glad I get to go to worship with other people where we can seek God's presence? Or maybe that was that way at one time and now it's not. And if we're honest, something else is first in our hearts. See, the word to seek God is the Hebrew word darash. It literally means to chase or to yearn after something. Seeking God begins first and foremost here, and 
maybe the first thing we need to do, at least I did, was to look at my own heart and say, okay, is that my deepest desire? That you're here with me right now? It was, it was for Solomon. I began thinking, well, why was Solomon's heart so, so bent on God's presence? And I think one of the reasons was because he was having a difficult time. He had to live up to his father's shoes, David. That's no small feat, the most famous Israelite king of all time. And his family, well, there's some division over who's going to be the next king. And he had all sorts of dynamics to deal with there. But in the text, it really talks about what's going on. In the text, he says this. He said, I'm only a little child. I don't care how to carry out my duties. Your servant is here among the people you've chosen, a great people, too numerous to count. So give your servant a discerning heart. He asked for wisdom, but here's what he says. He said, I'm a kid. I can't, I can't do this. This job is just way too big for me. I realize he's, like when I was reading this, he's completely overwhelmed. I began to think about this for a second. And I realized something else about this. That seeking God... It requires humility. Think about this. Solomon at this point might be one of the wealthiest people in the world. And he might be, probably is, one of the most powerful men in the world as the king of this nation. Here's a man who has everything at his fingertips. He's got armies. He's got generals. He's got um, servants. and He's got cities. He's got everything you could ever imagine. And yet he looks at what he's supposed to do and he says... I can't do this. Sure you can. Just have somebody do it for you. No, I can't. It's too big. Think about the level of humility it would take for a man who has everything at his fingertips to say, this is too big for me. Seeking God requires a certain degree of humility to say, I need you. It's too much. And for us to seek God, it requires the same thing. A certain degree of humility to say, I need you. I can't do all this by myself. And sometimes that's hard, right, men? At least it is for me. We believe there's a certain degree of weakness, I think, if we admit something's too big for us to handle on our own. I mean, once I had a housing project uh, I was going to take on, and I had a friend who, who was here uh, who could fix anything. And he asked me, he's like, hey, you want some help? I'm like, no. Well, why would I need you? You could do it all yourself. I'll try it. I'll do it myself. And then I had another friend who was a builder. He said, you know, I heard you are going to do this. I could help you. I was like, no, why would I need a builder to do it? And then I had another friend. The third friend came up. He's like, hey, I heard about the thing you're trying to do. And, and he was a builder too, but he also ran a company that built hundreds of houses. <laughs> and of course, what did I say? No, I don't need your help. I can do it myself. I mean, he could have had people do it for me. And so I remember getting and uh, tackling this housing project. I was, it wasn't very big, but it took me forever. And I was complaining to Lindsay at the end of the night. I was tired and sore. And she said, well, why didn't you ask your friend? He's a builder. I said, well, because I'm a man. <laughs> right, man? We don't ask for help. We don't need directions. No, I, I began to think about that. Why didn't I? I was too proud. I didn't need help. Sometimes it's hard to admit something's too big for you. We live in a nation, the ethos 
is that we should be able to handle it. We should be able to take care of ourselves. We pulled ourselves up by our own bootstraps, right? And that influences a lot, including even our faith. I've heard people even talk about faith. Well, God only helped those who help themselves. That's not in the Bible. In fact, I've seen the opposite sometimes. And so sometimes it can be difficult to admit that something's too big for us. That we need help. Sometimes it's difficult for us to humble ourselves. But seeking God requires a heart that's willing to say, Lord, this is too much. I just need you here with me. And it was interesting. After Solomon humbles himself, it said the Lord was pleased. And, and it all changes. We didn't really read the end of the story, but God was pleased and he answered Solomon and said, I'll make you wise, but I'm not just going to make you wise I'm going to make you wealthy and powerful beyond your, beyond your wildest dreams. And this is what you see from the end of this story. For the rest of Solomon's life, it just continues to go upwards. He begins to uh, amass wealth beyond anyone's imagination. He, he becomes one of the wisest men that's ever lived. He built all sorts of things. In fact, it's so impressive that other kings and queens would come to visit just to hear his voice and to see the things he built. He built palaces and cities. And as the story goes, he begins to build uh, the temple. And there's a couple pictures of what the artists thought that the temple would look like. Um, and so this is actually, if you read on and on, it, it talks about all the things in the temple. We can't go all, into all the details. But the temple was a pretty impressive structure in its day that was built. In fact, I was reading through some of the Old Testament, and they collected money for the temple. They collected gold and silver. And it said that they collected 108,000 talons of gold, and that they collected 1 million talents of silver. And one talent is 75 pounds, which meant that the temple cost $216 billion to build. And this is, uh, you know, a a total (laughs) fixer-upper. Think about how good life has to be going when you can build a temple. And some say, like, oh, it wasn't that much. It was more like 200 million. Okay. But, But just think about how good life is if you can build a structure like this. There was a a historian named Josephus. Uh, he, He wrote about it. And he said that the exterior of the building wanted nothing that could astound either mind or eye for being covered on all sides with massive plates of gold. The sun was no sooner up that it radiated so fiery a flash that a person straining to look at it were compelled to advert their eyes. You can read the rest of it. Like, forget gold toilets. It had gold walls, right? People couldn't even stare at this building because there's so much gold on it that it was blinding. This is how wealthy and how powerful and how good life is. And so as soon as David gets done building this most magnificent structure I think that anyone had ever seen, he calls all the people together. It's kind of where we pick up the second story. And he's going to dedicate this temple to God. And he says a big prayer in chapter 8. And can't read all the prayer, but I want to read part of the prayer to you, the very end of it. He said, will God really dwell on earth? The heavens, even the highest heavens, can't contain you. How much less this temple I built. Yet give attention to your servant's prayer and plead for mercy, Lord my God. Hear the cry and the prayer that your servant is praying in your presence this day. 
May your eyes be open towards this temple night and day, this place which you have said, my name shall be here, so that you will hear the prayer your servant prays towards this place. Hear the supplication of your servant, of your people Israel, when they are praying towards this place. Hear from heaven your dwelling place, and when you hear, forgive. So his prayer is, Lord, we want you here in this place, no longer at a high place, no longer trapped, no longer be distant. We want you with us, and we want you to hear our prayers. In the midst of something going great, he's still seeking God. And then, after the prayer, it says that they offered sacrifices. And it said, the king and all of Israel with him offered sacrifices before the Lord. And Solomon offered a sacrifice, a fellowship offering to the Lord of 22,000 cattle. Remember, that's one year's wage for one. And 120,000 sheep and goats. So the king and all the Israelites dedicated the temple to the Lord. It said they would have taken a week straight of every Levite priest they had 24-7 to make all of these sacrifices. And as I was reading, I want to just point out one thing I realized from all these things that Solomon was offering, that, that seeking God requires a sacrifice. This is the third thing that jumped out at me. When you seek God, you have to put him first in your life, which means everything else comes what? Second, for Solomon, that meant he had to be willing to sacrifice time and people and resources and creativity and a lot of money. But he was willing to do that because seeking God requires a sacrifice. And it requires the same from us. If we're going to have a heart that seeks God, he's got to be first, which means everything else in our life has to be second. And sometimes... That's difficult because the thing that we have to sacrifice is the self. We have to sacrifice our time to get up in the morning to read, to pray, to be still, to go to church on a beautiful day. It's a sacrifice of your time. Sometimes it's a sacrifice of your energy to go help someone. Sometimes it's a sacrifice of your finances to give to people, to churches, to those in needs. Sometimes it's a sacrifice of comfort to go where God may be calling you to go. And see, this is why I think sometimes it can be difficult to have a heart that seeks God when things go well. Because why would you want to sacrifice things when I got it all figured out, when I'm doing really well? Why would I put God first when everything seems to be working out? Which is a valid question. But this is what Solomon shows us. Even in the best of times, he was willing to do that for God. Why would I sacrifice like that? Well, let me read the end of the story, and I'll answer that. Because the ending is really interesting. It said that the Lord appeared to him a second time after he made these sacrifices. As he appeared to him at Gibeon. And the Lord said, I've heard the prayer and the plea you've made before me. I've consecrated this temple which you have built by putting my name there forever. My eyes and heart will always be there. As for you, if you walk before me faithfully with integrity, heart, and uprightness, as David your father did, and do all I command and observe my decrees and laws, I will establish your royal throne over Israel forever. As I promised David your father when I said, you shall never fail to have a successor on the throne of Israel. But if you or your descendants turn away from me, You don't observe the commands and decrees I have given you. 
You go off and you serve other gods and worship them. I'll cut off Israel from the land I've given them. I'll reject this temple I have consecrated for my name. Israel will then become a byword and an object of ridicule among the people, all people. This temple will become a heap of rubble. And it's interesting because the stories are really similar. The first story, Solomon travels to a sacred place. He offers sacrifices. God shows up. Answers. The second story, Solomon goes to a sacred place. It's a temple now. He offers sacrifices. God shows up and answers his prayer. The major difference is the type of sacrifice made. The first sacrifice was a burnt offering. The second sacrifice is a fellowship offering, it's called. Other scholars, as I was reading, called it a peace offering. And a peace offering is different than a burnt offering. A burnt offering show that you're lowly, you need God. A peace offering was made as an invitation. It was an invitation to God to be at peace, at one with your people now and for the future. And that's why you made that offering, to invite God to be with you, present with your people, be at one, be at peace with us. And see, we ask that question, well, why, why would I sacrifice? I have a heart that's seeking God, make this sacrifice. And, and this is what it shows us, because, because seeking God is an invitation. That's why. See, Solomon... His prayer is an invitation. Lord, we want you here. We invite you here with us. His sacrifice is an invitation. And then God's response is, I've heard your invitation. I'll be here with you. I would love to journey and be your God amidst you, with you, walking with you. But if you turn from me and and you don't want me here, that's fine. I'll leave. And you'll be on your own in this temple it's just a temple. Whatever happens to it will happen to it. See, seeking God is an invitation. We don't seek God because he's lost and we're trying to find him. We, we seek God because we want to invite him into our life, into our presence. And we say, well, why, why would we sacrifice? Because, because when you seek God and you invite him, you're inviting the creator of the world into your life to journey with you. And when you do that, it changes everything. Everything. I had a friend named Ralph who was a living example of what happens when you begin to invite God. Ralph was a big guy. You ever met a guy you just want to give a hug to all the time? He just exemplified what it meant to love Christ. I'm I'm serious. Like You would just love him. He had a big goatee. He was a drummer. Just had a great sense of humor. Um... And uh, we used to always joke with Ralph as the drummer. I met him first playing in a band. We'd say, Ralph, what do you call the guy who hangs out with all the musicians? The drummer? That's what we would... And he would always laugh. We always said the same joke to him. And he began to tell me about his life one day. And he said, you know, when I was... I kind of went to church, did it. But he said, in my uh, late 20s, early 30s, sort of came to a head with his battle with alcoholism. My wife was going to leave with the kids, and he said, one day I woke up in a lawn. I didn't know where I was, and I didn't know how I got there. He said, and it was at this point I realized this was bigger than me. And he said, it was at that point I began to truly seek God in my life. Now, fast forward, Ralph is in his 60s. He's a grandpa, still with a cool goatee, and uh, he's been sober for decades. 
And he's standing next to me in his church. And we're going to graduate seminary together. And God has taken Ralph and helped him walk through and overcome his battle. And then changed his life completely around. And now using him to reach the lives of thousands of other people with the love of Christ. See, when you invite God, the creator of the universe, the author of life, the prince of peace, the great comforter into your life, it can change everything. Seeking God is an invitation. And it's a powerful invitation. Perhaps this morning you are struggling. I don't know what it is. You're going through it. It's difficult. You tried to figure it out. You don't know where to go or what to do. Seeking God is an invitation for the creator of the universe to intervene. You may not solve the problem. You may have a long journey ahead of you. It may take a while, but you don't have to do it alone. If you're willing to humble yourself, put him first and invite him to join you. Maybe it's not a struggle. Maybe you have things going going well. You have it together. I'm glad. But maybe there's something more. Something greater. Maybe you even realize it. Just sort of going through the motions. Maybe God sees your life and says, you're blessed. I'm so glad. But I have something so much more fulfilling and life-changing for you and the world around you if you would just put me first. I could use you. I could use you and your family to do something tremendous. Even though it's good, there might be something greater if you're just willing to humble yourself and seek me. So this morning, I started with this question, whom do you seek? And it's the same question we have to end with. Whom do you seek? If you're struggling, who do you turn to? Who do you seek? If life is good, things are normal, who is it, though, that you seek? Solomon shows us if we're willing to examine our hearts, we're willing to humble ourselves and sacrifice, seeking God as an invitation. It's an invitation for God to show up and not just change your life and bless us, but to bless the entire world around us. So I asked last time, whom do you see? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your willingness to be a God that wants to be with us. Your willingness to listen and be present when we seek you. Lord, if there are any of us that are thinking about this, I pray you just give us the boldness to act and to seek you this morning. If there are things that you're speaking to our hearts that we need to change to put you first, I pray you give us the strength to make those changes. And Lord, if there are areas you just want to encourage us, let us accept your love and encouragement that we're doing okay, that it'll be okay. Father, it's good again to be in a house so familiar and to be with people that 
you care and love about. Lord, let us be a church that seeks you with all our heart. And may you use us in this place to transform the world around us. Pray this in your name, everyone says. Amen. We will continue in, in worship by singing and, and seeking the Lord through worship and song. We'll also use this time to give of our tithes and offerings. Um, that bucket is in the back. You can get up during the song if you'd like and, and put it back there, or um, you can wait till the service is over. And if you guys are online, um, you guys can click that link. Or again, if you're in the service, there's that QR code in front of you as well. Um, yeah. Let's, let's sing together.
let's pray. God, thank you uh, for a day we can worship you. We pray as we go from this place that uh, we can be a people that are willing to seek you with our whole lives and put you first. And may you use that heart, that life, to change someone else's this week. Pray this in your son's name. Amen. Go in peace.